0: Welcome to the Celebrate Community Church of Yankton podcast. My name is Jeff Todd, and I have the privilege of serving as pastor of this amazing church community here in Yankton, South Dakota. I just want to say thank you for joining us. It's my prayer that this week's message will truly encourage you. Enjoy. Football is a very simple game. I don't know how many football fans are out in the room, but I'm one of them. And this is a difficult time of year for football fans because February, when the Super Bowl was, is a long ways away. And we still got, although the preseason is going to start next month, uh, we still got about two more months before the games start going on. But uh, whether you're a football fan or not, uh, I'm going to say it again. Football is actually a very simple game. See, this is how football works. One of the teams has the ball. That team is called the what? The offense, right? Okay, you with me? The offense has the ball. The offense has one goal, and that's to score. Take the ball and score. And there's another team on the field with the offense, and they're called the what? The defense. There you go. And the defense has one job, to stop the other team from scoring. No matter what, they're going to hit them, they're going to push them, they might even try to break them, throw them into the ground. Their one goal is to stop them from scoring to take them out so they can't score why do i say that because i think life is pretty simple too see let me help you with that see when it comes to life as followers of jesus christ are, are we supposed to be on offense or on defense don't answer that question because i would say that this is where we probably get it wrong too much this is what i mean by this as followers of jesus christ in life we are to be on offense we have the ball Notice I didn't say we're to be offensive, okay? That's a different conversation. We're not to be offensive. We're to be on the offense. We have the ball. We have Jesus. Our job as one goal is to teach people about Jesus and to score. But church, we have an enemy, don't we? We have someone who opposes us, who will do whatever it takes to prevent us from doing the one thing we're calling on earth to do, and that is to share the love of Christ. And this is where I think as a church we miss it sometimes. I think sometimes we play defense or we get defensive, as it were. There's so many people who fall into the woke agenda and wanting to fight those things. There's so much political parties and, and different side issues. And I'm just here, not here to argue that again. What I'm here to say is we have one goal. We have the ball. We're on offense. We're not to be defensive defensive. We are to take the love of Christ, and we're trying to share that with as many people as we possibly can. And if you're a guest or joining us online, we've been in a brand new series called Rethink, where we've been trying to rethink how we want God to move. We want God to move in a mighty way in our culture. We have to rethink. And I've been saying throughout this series, we have three parts of this. The first one you're doing right now, every Sunday morning, we'd love to have you in the room. And if you're going to be gone Get online and watch it. You w- Listen to our podcast because we want you to understand each week is super important. But the second aspect is even just as important and that's our life groups. For these eight weeks, we're asking you to commit to being part of a life group. And again, on our website, yankton.church, you can click on life groups it has our days and our times and our locations. And the third aspect is one that Hope shared is where we connect at Celebrate. You text that word rethink. You're going to subscribe to that and you're going to get some updates and some devotionals and lots of different tools that you can use. Those are the three parts of that. And so last, I should say the first week we talked about how we need to wake up. The first step in rethinking is we need to wake up. We need to think about how we are as a church. Are we a cruise ship or are we a battleship? And last week we talked about God and how you see God is the most important thing about you. We talked about even how there's lots of different ways we can describe God, but God really is love. His love is unconditional, it's unimaginable, and it's inseparable. And so today we want to talk about this idea about how we're to live life victoriously. As followers of Jesus Christ, we have the ball. Our job is to score, but yet I see so many people who are followers of Jesus Christ live life that are defeated. Defeated in marriage, defeated in our finances, Defeated in our jobs, defeated at home. And I would say the reason is because we forgot we are not to be defensive. We're to be on offense. We have the ball. But there is an enemy who wants to seek, kill, and destroy. And his one goal is to prevent you from doing that. 1 Peter 5.8 puts it this way. Be alert and sober of mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. See, when it comes to great football teams, all the great offenses do the exact same thing. They study the defense. They learn the defensive schemes that the defenses are trying to do, the different blitz packages, the different arrangements, the different styles are trying to prevent them from storing. And the offense studies those defenses and knows how they can score. And when the offense does it right, they can score every single time. And I'd say the same holds true to us. If we want to live victorious lives in Christ, we need to understand our opponent. We need to study his game plan so we can prevent him from taking away from what we're supposed to do. And I've got really good news, church. When it comes to our enemy, his name is Satan. And he only has one basic play that he runs over and over and over and over again. That's the good news. I don't know if you guys have ever seen like, little kids play football, but it's hilarious if you ever see that. My youngest son, he used to play flag football, and it was kind of the same thing. They would run the same play over and over and over and over again, and they'd score every time. Actually, they had one star player that was on their team. Josh was a quarterback. He just threw the ball to this kid, and he'd just score every time, right? That's a great, right? but that's what Satan does. He runs the same play over and over and over again. He's not very creative, but here's the problem. We keep falling for the same play. <laughs> Over and over and over again. See, Satan runs the same play over and over again, but we don't learn from it. So today, church, I'm excited to share with you. We're going to study this play. We're going to see why we fail in that, and we're going to live a life victorious where you can score every single time. So if you got your Bibles, why don't you had to turn to Genesis chapter 3. Way back to the beginning of Genesis chapter 3. And you've heard me say this before. God created everything in perfection and unity and harmony. And then he created man and woman, the the culmination of all creation. They were in the garden, they were naked, and they were unashamed. But as you're looking at Genesis 3, the key to Genesis 3 happens in Genesis 1. You can stay in Genesis 3, but I'm just going to summarize for you. And you've heard me preach this before. God spoke, and he said, let there be light and let there be dark. God spoke, and he said, let there be sky, let there be water. God spoke and he said, Let there be water and ground. God spoke and said, Let there be plants and fruit. God spoke and said, Let there be sun, moon, and stars. God spoke and said, Let there be birds and fish. God spoke and said, Let there be animals and people and man and woman and all those things. God did what? He spoke. His word created all of those things. And to understand Genesis chapter 3, we need to remember from Genesis chapter 1, it was God speaking that created everything. And Genesis chapter 3 is where our enemy, Satan, makes his first appearance. And in verse 1, the very first statement that Satan ever makes is in verse 1. He said to the woman, Did God really say? You must not eat from any tree In the garden. And there it is. If you got your note sheets, you want to write this down. Satan's very first tactic is doubt. I would contend his number one priority is to get you to doubt what God said. Genesis chapter 1, God spoke and all these things came into creation. The very first words out of Satan's mouth is, did God really say? And he runs the same play over and over and over again. Let me help you with this. Did God really say, don't get even? Is that what God really said? I mean, this person really hurt me. I could get them back. Did God really say, don't get even? Did God really say that we shouldn't live together before we get married? I mean, we love each other, right? It's okay. Did God really say that we're supposed to tithe? Like that first 10% of everything I get goes straight to him? Is that really what God said? Did God really say that, or or is this just what somebody else is saying? Church, don't miss this. If the devil can get us to question God's word, we are powerless, and we will never win in life. Behind every single defeat, there is a lie that we are believing, and Satan wants us to doubt what God says. That's his first tactic. And Eve responded to the doubt, and she said, well, actually, we can not eat from that. We can eat from all the other trees, just not that one, or we'll surely die. And how does Satan respond? Verse 4. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And there, my friends, is the second part of Satan's playbook, and you want to write this down. The first one is he wants us to doubt what God says. The second one is just as cunning, deception. He wants us to doubt what God says, then he wants to deceive us. See, most of us can understand when something's not true. We can can tell it pretty obviously. Most of us don't have a problem with that. Where we start to struggle is when it's based in truth. Church, I'm going to say this. Satan knows God's word better than you do. Okay? He understands that, and he can use deception. And his basis for deception, don't miss this, is based in truth. Let's look back at this sentence. He said, for God knows. Is that true or false? It's true. Of course God knows that. Your eyes will be open knowing good and evil. Is that true or false? Of course it's true. Satan's base and true. Then you will not die. Is that true or false? Eh, they didn't die immediately, right? You're not going to die right away you'll eat the fruit but you won't die see how deception works it starts off as a truth based on truth and then goes to a lie and deception see if you've ever been and seen a magician before this is what a magician does a magician magic trick has one goal is to get you to look over here while he's doing something over here he's going to get your eyes looking somewhere else so he can deceive you and pull a trick and satan does the same thing Hey, look at this over here, and then you're not seeing what he's doing over here. It's exactly what Satan did with Eve, and he does the same thing with us all the time. Church, I don't know about you, but the biggest deception that I have is self-deception. I can deceive myself. It's no big deal. Everybody's doing it. It'll be only one time. It won't really hurt that bad. And yet we believe that deception, don't we? Then verse 6. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom. And here is where the third part of Satan's playbook comes in. So Satan has doubt. Satan has deception. Here's number three, desire. Satan will use our desire. Eve even said that the fruit, it looked good. It tasted good. It feels good. It's probably good. And yet it wasn't. Satan will exploit those desires over and over and over again in our lives. Why do you think it is that food that looks good doesn't usually isn't good for us? You, you with me on this? Here? I, I I have this thing. I love sugar cookies. I don't know if you guys know. I actually brought a picture once so you guys can see it. Look at that. You guys know these. You guys know the cookies I'm talking about, right? Doesn't that look delicious? It's just even watching it makes me tell. You know, there's nothing good in that cookie. Okay, it's all pure sugar, but man, it tastes good. There's another type of food. This is another one that I brought. This is kale, all right? Now, kale is one of the best foods you could possibly eat, and it looks terrible, doesn't it, okay? And if you've eaten kale, it tastes, it tastes about as bad as it looks, okay, right? But it's why is that the case? Isn't that interesting how something that looks so good can taste so terrible? See, that's the thing about sin, and that's what Satan uses. He uses our desires. He uses our temptations. He makes it look really good and really appealing, and yet in the end, it's death. He will exploit our desires to take that. And Satan um, has those desires. He gives them, he uses those desires that we have to exploit it. And I want to say it again it's not a sin to have desire. To have a desire is not sin, it's sin to act on those desires. And, And the thing I want you to understand that's very important about this is this is a process. Satan first has to get us to doubt, then he uses deception, and then he exploits our desires. Because if we're not questioning what God said, right, and we're not being deceived by that, we can typically resist with our desires, but our desires are what can be destroyed us. He will create doubt and deception, and then we'll use that desire to exploit us. And our desires are natural, but that's what he can do with us. But there's one more trick that Satan uses And it's not just once. See, Satan doesn't want us just to fall one time. He wants us to keep going over and over and over again. In verse 6, he continues. Eve took some of the fruit and ate it. She also gave it to her husband, who was with her. We'll talk about that in a minute. And he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. And this is the fourth aspect of it. Satan's playbook. He starts with doubt. He goes to deception. He exploits our desire. But the fourth part is disgrace. That shame and that guilt that comes. See, immediately after disobeying, Satan shifts from being the chief encourager to our prosecuting attorney, right? I can't believe you did that. I can't believe you were so stupid. Nobody's ever going to love you. You can't fix this. Better make sure no one finds out. And yet he was the guy just two minutes before saying, do it, do it, do it. It'll be great. God doesn't care. He creates the doubt. He uses deception, exploits our desire, and then the disgrace. Then it comes to one of the saddest verses in all of Scripture, Genesis chapter 3, verse 8. Then the man and the wife heard the sound of the Lord God, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees in the garden. This is the same God that we said last week loved us unconditionally, that loves us unimaginably, that is inseparable. Adam and Eve hear God coming, and they hide. Why do they do that? Because Satan got them to understand disgrace, realizing the guilt and the shame, and God is never going to love you, God's going to be mad at you, and he keeps them away. And thus begins the cycle over and over again, doubt, deception, desire, disgrace. Doubt, desire, deception, disgrace. Over and over and over again, all throughout Adam and Eve and all throughout human history, and I would contend our entire lives, we follow that same cycle. But again, I don't want to give the enemy too much credit, right? He's running the same play over and over again. Church, it's time for us to get smart. It's time for us to understand this pattern, and it's time for us to address it And fight against it like a good football team. So, church, are you ready with me? Are you ready to learn how we can fight Satan's game plan? All right, let's do this. Here's how we can do it. I'm gonna give you three weapons that we can use to fight Satan. Because again, it's gonna be the same play over and over and over again. It does for Adam and Eve, all throughout human history, and in our lives. Here's the first weapon we need to have know your weaknesses. Know your weaknesses. See, temptation can occur at different times, different places, and different situations. In different seasons for different people, temptation can work against us depending on where we're at. But what's the promise in God's word? 1 Corinthians 10.13, church, no temptation has overtaken you except what is common to man. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. Did you catch that promise, church? There's no temptation that you can't overcome. Every time we're tempted with something, God provides a way out for us to stand up under it. And going back to Satan's playbook, right? Look at what he's going to use. He's going to use our desires to exploit that. And every single one of us have desires. I'll say it again. Desire is not a sin. It's not a sin to have a desire. It's a sin to act on that desire when it goes against what God says. And that's what Satan can do. See, how can you tell if something is a weakness in your area, in your life? Because it keeps coming up over and over and over again. Why is the enemy going to use something that's not a temptation to you? He wants to get you where you're weak. And so he's going to use that over and over again. How can you tell when something is no longer struggling in your life because it doesn't have a weakness anymore? He won't keep bringing it up. And we use that, we need to use that to help somebody else, right? Let me give you an illustration of this. When it comes to food, and and many of us want to eat healthy and, and get in better shape and do all those things, that's a great idea, and that's what we should do. When it comes to our diet, here's the first thing that they'll tell you. Make the decision before you have to make the decision. Okay, let me, let me help you with what I'm saying. Before you go to Pizza Ranch, decide before you walk in the door what you're going to eat. Because if you don't and you go to Pizza Ranch and all that good food's there, you're just going to be eating, 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 and before you know it, you're in trouble. Same thing with temptation when it comes to desire. Make the decision before you have to make the decision. Decide ahead of time, I'm not going to go there. I'm not going to be part of that. I'm not going to be around this person because when I do, not good things happen. You with me, church? Make the decision before you make Know your weaknesses. Every single one of us has a weakness, and our enemy wants to try to exploit it. And if you choose to say, oh, I don't have a weakness, then you have a weakness It's called pride, okay? And he can exploit you when he's doing that. That's what we need to understand. Know where you struggle and stay away. Here's the second thing. Know your weaknesses Know your Savior. Know your Savior. Do you know that Jesus was tempted in the same ways that you and I are tempted? He was fully God and fully man. He faced the same temptations. In fact, Hebrews 4.15 tells us this promise. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weakness, but we have one who has been tempted in every way. If you circle or highlight in your Bible, you should circle and highlight that. Jesus was tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Jesus faced the same temptations we did, and he was able to stand up under it, just in the same way that we could. And in our life groups this week, we're actually going to unpack this. Maybe you know Jesus was actually tempted by Satan in the same way that Adam and Eve were. And he went to the wilderness after he was baptized, and three times Satan came to him. Now, in our life groups this week, we're going to actually unpack these verses, so I'm not going to do it for you here, but I'm going to give you the answer. You ready for this? You can go to life group and have the answer. You're going to sound really smart, okay? You ready for this? Here's the answer. How did Jesus resist Satan's temptation? He said, it is written. It is written. It is written. Every time Satan came at Jesus with a temptation, Jesus used God's word to stand on the promise of that. Remember what I said before? The number one thing Satan wants to get you to do is doubt God's word. The number one way to fight that is to know God's word. I said it again. Satan knows the Bible better than you do. And he wants to exploit that and know what it says. Understand it so you can fight against those things. Jesus, who was the word of God, studied and knew the word of God. How much more do you and I need to do the same thing? You need to be in god's word you need to understand it you need to study it every verse that jesus told satan was in the book of deuteronomy why was it the book of deuteronomy here's what you need to know about where jesus was at that point he was in the wilderness he had fasted for 40 days he was all alone he was tired but over and over and over again he would repeat god's word and that's how we know. See, that's the best way that we can do that. But here's the other thing we need to know about Jesus, right? You need to understand his word, but you need to know his love for you, how unconditional it is. Jesus knows you're going to blow it, okay? That's why he died on the cross. The worst, thing, the worst thing you can do is when you fall into temptation is to keep it hidden and keep it away from Jesus. The first place you should run is to the Savior and say, I'm so sorry. Jesus, I blew it. I see this all the time and people will come and and we'll see him here on Sunday and then they'll disappear and we won't see him for a while. And and I can just know in my heart the reason why is because they're struggling with the sin and they don't want to come here because they feel guilt or they feel shame or for whatever reason. And that's the worst thing you can possibly do. Just like Adam and Eve hid in the Garden of Eden was the worst thing they could do. We got to run to the Savior and say, listen, I blew it. Please forgive me. Help me to grow and get better because Satan wants you to stay defeated. That's what the enemy does. He runs the same play over and over again. So we need to know our weaknesses. We need to know our Savior. But here's the last one, and I would contend probably the most important. Know your teammates. Just like a football team has other players to help them on the way, God has given us a place called the church where we have broken Imperfect people that can come alongside of us, encourage us, support us, know our weaknesses, know we're vulnerable, know to keep us accountable. See, when I am weak, you can be strong. And I want to go back to an aspect I mentioned earlier, but I want to go back to again because I think it's so important. Genesis 3:6. Eve also gave some to her husband who was with her. The language there in Hebrew is very specific While Eve was having this conversation, while she was going down this pattern of doubt, deception, and desire, Adam was standing right there next to her. And I might permit me to add with his thumb of his butt, okay? I don't know why he didn't say anything. Why did Adam not protect his wife, the person that God gave him to do that? Why did Adam stand by and let her go down this path? Maybe he wanted to see what happened to Eve and see if it would be okay for him. I don't know his thought pattern, but I'll tell you what I've done. I've done the same thing in my life. I've seen people I love and I care about make terrible decisions. And I said nothing. Church, we got to get better at that. When we see our brothers and sisters start down a path that aren't okay, we need to step in, in love and say, what are you doing right now? Talk to me. You know, one of the things that I do is is when I don't see people on Sunday, I'll follow up with them. And please know this, it's because I love you. It's not because I'm trying, I just know how the enemy works. That's the play he's gonna try to run. He's gonna try to keep you away. We need to do a better job of stepping in and saying, listen, I love you. And can I just tell you why we don't do that sometimes? Why I don't do that sometimes? It's because it's risky, right? Sometimes you risk the friendship. I'm going to go ahead and be vulnerable. I've risked some friendships by confronting people on their sin. I've had people that have gotten mad at me and and have quit coming to church and tell me what an awful pastor I am and all these great things that that are just wonderful and uplifting, okay? I'm okay with that because I need to understand something. I love you. I know how the enemy works. If we're truly being godly people and being the church, we need to push in. Don't be like Adam and stand off to the side and let your friend go down a path they should not go down to. We need to stay connected. This is why life groups are so important. Call, text, use the connected, celebrate, because we have teammates that can fight with us and join to help us. Your enemy wants to, has one goal, and that's to keep you from sharing the love of Christ with everyone he possibly can. And he does the same dumb play over and over and over and over again. He's done it from Eve. He did it to Jesus. And he'll do it to you and your life all the time. It's the same cycle. Just to repeat it again. It starts with doubt. If Satan can get you to question what does God's word say, he already has his foot in the door. And then it follows to deception. He's trying to trick you. He's trying to make you look over here. He'll even base it in truth. He might even quote a scripture at you. But it's not truth because his goal is to deceive you. He will exploit your desires, those natural things that we have in our body that'll desire us to do things, and he'll use doubt and deception to get us to act in a sinful way on our desires, which will lead to disgrace. Where we'll say, oh, I blew it. I feel guilt. I feel shame. And he'll try to keep us locked in that cycle over and over and over again. It's the same tired game plan, but church, that's the good news. Now that we know that, We can fight the battle. We need to know our weaknesses. Know where you struggle. Know where you're vulnerable. And stay away from it. Make the decision before you have to make the decision to stay away from it. We need to know our Savior. Be in His Word every day. This is why I tell you, you should be in your Bible every day. We need to learn it and know it and understand it. But the last one is so important. Know your teammates. Know when People are here that who they are that you can turn to in your time of weakness and fight the battle with you. Don't be afraid to speak the truth in love to people who need to hear it. Don't be like Adam and stand to the side. Speak the truth in love. Let's pray. God, I thank you that you have given us as your church a mission in the world. And we have one very specific goal, and that's to share the love of Jesus Christ with every single man, woman, and child that we meet. Yet, God, I know that so many of us can live a life that's defeated. We can get the mistake that we need to be on the defense and, and we need to fight against these things, but God, that's not our calling. Our calling is to take the ball and score. And God, we know the enemy and we know his plans. We know how he wants us to doubt your word. Help us to be in your word so we don't doubt it. We know he wants to deceive us by basing things on truth. Help us to understand the truth and know what truth is so when we see it, we can recognize it as the darkness that it is. God, he exploits our desires, those natural things that come in us, the anger that might rise up in us the jealousy that might rise up in us, the sexual desires that might rise up in us. And God, none of those desires in themselves are sin until we choose to act on them. And we typically do that, God, after we've doubted you and after we've been deceived. Then we act on our desires. And then the worst part is, God, we live in disgrace. We live in guilt. We live in shame. We try to keep things hidden. We try to hide from you. And we need to run to you. God, give every person in this room the humility to know where we are weak. And God, if it's an area that we're not weak in, help us to be strong for someone else who might be weak in that area. God, there's areas in my life where I'm strong, but I can be that strength for other people. They can borrow my strength in times of struggle. Jesus, we want to know you so well. God, Jesus, you were tempted. Help us to stand on that promise. You were tempted in every way possible, and yet you did not fail. In every temptation we seek, you provide a way out, so we have no excuse. Help us to find that door to get out. And Jesus, help us to be those teammates that we can encourage each other. We can Love one another. We can follow up and hold each other accountable. And God, if that can be our offense, if our church can run that offense, man, we're going to score a lot for you in this in this community. Give us the strength and wisdom to do that. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks so much for listening. If you live in the Yankton area, we'd love for you to join us Sundays at 10.30 a.m., at 310 Walnut Street. You can also check out more content on our website, yankton.church, or our YouTube channel, at Celebrate Yankton. If you enjoy this podcast, please subscribe to it and share with others. God bless.